Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. We have had so many shows recently on toxins and how they affect our health and how important it is that we take uh, precautionary measures if we want to stay healthy. We've had another show on teeth and how they affect our health with Dr. Kennedy. Well, today we're going to address teeth as well, but we'll get different information on how important they are in our health. So we'll find out from Dr. Levy how important it is uh, that we have good dental health because that impacts the health of our whole body, if not through meridians, through inflammation, oxidative stress. So we're going to learn more about that. So let me introduce Dr. Levy. He's a board-certified cardiologist and a bar-certified attorney. After practicing adult cardiology for 15 years, he began the research in enormous toxicity associated with uh, extensive dental work. He also looked at the pronounced ability of properly administered vitamin C to neutralize this toxicity. He has now written 11 books, largely addressing important roles of dental toxicity and nutrition in disease and health, along with practical treatment and prevention protocols. Recently inducted into the Arthur Molecular Medicine Hall of Fame, Dr. Levy is now lecturing on the findings in his latest book, The Hidden Epidemic, Silent Oral Infections Cause Most Heart Attacks and Breast Cancers. This research is highlighted in the book and indicates the reasons for the onset and evolution of most chronic diseases, uh, which can be diagnosed and readily addressed. So welcome, Dr. Levy. Hello, Susan. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, this is a fascinating topic because it seems we've had like about seven shows in a row on toxins and how insidious and uh, problematic they are. So what got you interested in the role of teeth in health? Well, gee, that started a little over 20 years ago when I met Dr. Hal Huggins in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, And we met at a little conference. He convinced me to come by his clinic. And I saw things happening with patients, advanced disease patients that I was taught in medical school, these weren't diseases that responded, these weren't diseases that got better, and God forbid, these were never diseases that resolved. And and I saw all of that at his clinic, and so it opened my eyes wide. I became introduced to vitamin C there. I saw the power of 25, 35, 50-gram vitamin C infusions. And I said, well, (laughs) it sounds like, it seems like my second medical education is starting right now because none of this, not even in the slightest degree, had ever been touched upon in med school, internship, residency, or fellowship. So I felt compelled to start doing my own research and take it where it led me. And I guess here I am 20 years later, and uh, you read the book. I think we have some interesting things that most physicians and most uh, patients would like to know about. Well, I want to make sure we get to these. So in your travels and studying with Dr. Huggins, what did you learn? What did you observe? 
Well, my first exposure with Dr. Huggins was just mainly about mercury toxicity from amalgam fillings. And, of course, that's very real, and that's very true, and it causes a lot of diseases, I believe, uh, especially with the work of Dr. Boyd Haley, that it's a primary factor in multiple sclerosis, of which Dr. Huggins saw a lot. But as time went on, I realized that the really big factor was dental infections, and not only in the form of root canal-treated teeth. And let me say, not all root canal-treated teeth, and that's what the book also differentiates. I'm, I'm not here to say you're going to drop dead if you have a root canal-treated tooth, but many root canal-treated teeth, uh, if you don't do other things to maintain your thyroid function, your sex hormone function, they will give you a heart attack or cancer. But also, I just saw that many advanced diseases, Alzheimer's, Lou Gehrig's, Parkinson's disease, these diseases would get better when these dental infections were removed. So, I mean, I didn't need to be hit over the head to know that something significant was going on here, and, and it really merited my closest attention and future research. Well, how exciting that is and how lucky we are you did that. I had a personal experience where I was diagnosed with trigeminal neuralgia and it hurt like the dickens. And so Stanford gave me the option of what pill do you want. So I chose Neurontin and Trileptal, seemed to do the least harm. And then I researched it a little bit and I found out that, uh, you know, that uh, trigeminal neuralgia was associated with cavitations. And cavitations, I learned, can come from uh, a little bit of bacteria left behind from a tooth extraction or one of these root canals, and they could just grow into a giant pocket of pus, which the nerve travels through, so no wonder the nerve hurts. So I had my dentist drill into the bone, inject some ozone, I could felt it go along the root of the nerve, and uh, the pain went away, the bone grew back, and I just told the neurologist today, and they just looked at me like I was on another planet. So, well, if it, you, you had an optimal treatment there, and that's something else that's just been coming to the fore, and I would say the last few years. I mean, ozone has been around for a long time, but the relatively recent dental applications are really getting truly exciting because, just as you said, you have a pocket of pus in the bone called the cavitation. And traditionally, things like that don't clear up unless you surgically evacuate them. And that was the approach for many, many, many years. Now we're realizing that ozone is such a chemical provocateur, if you will, that when it gets inside there, it stimulates and perturbs the bone, and you actually start resolving cavitations to a great degree without having to primarily evacuate the pus site, which is almost counterintuitive when you look at abscesses elsewhere in the body. You know, the primary axiom with abscesses is drain first. Of course, the, the jawbone is a little bit different, uh, being bone and not being soft tissue. But the fact of the matter is we're seeing now with ozone, uh, in and around root canals, in cavitations, injected into chronically infected tonsils of all things can cause a great deal of improvement uh, in not only what's being treated directly, the tonsil of the tooth, but also in general health and in lowering CRP, which is so closely oh, linked yes. 
the increased all-cause mortality because of its association with inflammation throughout the body. Absolutely. But also ozone will knock out any viruses, bacteria, and any of these little ucky things that are causing inflammation. So it looks like a direct route to reduce inflammation and oxidative stress, which uh, we will find out a little bit later, and we've discussed in many programs, is certainly at the root of most of the diseases that we have to deal with. So tell us more about mercury in the teeth. I mean, mercury is a hazardous compound. If you spill some, you're almost supposed to have a hazmat suit or teeth to dispose of it. So what happens when we put it in our teeth? We brush our teeth and it just squiggles off to our brain. What's this doing to us? Well, the interesting thing is, and I cover this in the book, is that mercury and every other toxin, that's right, every other toxin, 100% of toxins, cause their damage by promoting or directly inducing the oxidation of biomolecules. You cause them to be lose their electrons, they become biologically inactive, and the more inactive biomolecules you have in a given uh, location, in a given concentration, in a given distribution, is determines what disease you have. So in the case of mercury, a lot of it uh, goes throughout the body, but much of it goes into the brain, but it's present in such a capacity that its oxidation takes place fairly slow and you don't start having your horrible diseases such as multiple sclerosis until many years later. But other toxins, for example, I use uh, the example of cyanide. You inhale that, for example, goes inside uh, your lungs and specifically because of its unique chemical structure, Uh, is attracted to the enzymes that incorporate oxygen uh, inside the cell. And so when that gets oxidized, that incorporation stops and you die in a couple minutes. The point being, though, whether you get sick or die 20 years later or whether you get sick or die in two minutes, the final common denominator of the toxin is the fact that it oxidizes. I'll take it a step further and say all disease is variable combinations and concentrations of increased oxidative stress or increased oxidized biomolecules. And the entirety of disease is caused by toxins. If you have no toxins in your life, you've got no disease until you reach the end of your lifespan. But toxins are oxidants and it's only oxidants that cause disease. And that's why mercury is so significant in the mouth because it's releasing gas from these mercury amalgams nonstop around the clock, but much, much more when you chew on them uh, or when acidic foods are exposed to them. It was long believed that the mercury was chemically incorporated into the amalgam, but it's not. And we have not only... uh, Laboratory evidence of that. We have actual videotapes that show the little swirls of mercury vapor uh, that come off these amalgams nonstop when you use the right photographic techniques. Yes, I believe our recent guest, uh, David Kennedy, has done some of those films. And you stick a toothbrush in there or a dentist sticks a pick in there. I mean, you can just watch those vapors go straight up toward the brain. Kind of scary. So what do we do if we've got mercury fillings? 
Well, you need a biological dentist because when you just take out mercury without any regard as to technique or anything else, you cause a very significant acute exposure of mercury in the process, which might not be a problem for a young person, but uh, if you have a person with an advanced disease, uh, any sort of neurological condition, cardiac condition, uh, and you just drill on these things and produce huge plumes of mercury vapor, the acute exposure can be worse than the benefits of getting it out. So there's, there's a lot of different things that need to be paid attention to, and they can be taken out in a fairly non-toxic fashion, but it takes attention to a number of details, not the least of which is uh, significant amounts of vitamin C, either in an oral liposome encapsulated form or optimally with mercury removal to be given uh, an intravenous infusion of vitamin C before, during, and after the mercury removal. So tell us how root canals and teeth extraction, how is that uh, leading us toward disease and, uh, and inflammation? Well, the thing is, is as it turns out, the number one producer of toxins, and I've mentioned, I'll repeat, toxins are what causes all disease because of their oxidation. The thing that produces the most toxins in the greatest amounts are infections. Okay, they can, of course, be body-wide, but most commonly, especially in people who consider themselves to otherwise be healthy, far and away, statistically speaking, the primary source and location of toxins in the body is an infection, and the vast majority of those infections, and by vast majority, I mean greater than 95%, are in the mouth, either in the form of chronic gum disease, uh, chronically infected root canals, or other asymptomatically chronic infected teeth, which is the thrust of the new book, Hidden Epidemic, or uh, chronically infected tonsils and sinuses. The thing is, and this is the, the part that is sort of upsetting, I suppose, for people that want a clear path, is these infections are very rarely symptomatic. They're almost always asymptomatic. And, of course, it's human nature to think that, well, if, if I feel pretty good right now and I don't have any pain anywhere in my body, I must be healthy or I must be pretty close to healthy. And that's a reasonably logical thing to think, but unfortunately, with the nature of dental infections and infected teeth, infected gums, infected root canals, they simply are not symptomatic almost all the time. Yet we have the clear evidence, and it's cited in the book, that such infected teeth are the number one cause, and not correlation or link, cause, of heart attacks and breast cancer. And last time I checked, heart attacks killed roughly 50% of the world's population and breast cancer, uh, another 10, 15, 20%. So you're talking about the two conditions that kill the vast majority of people on the planet being directly caused by dental infections. Wow, we certainly have to be careful of dental infections. So how do these stealth asymptomatic infections cause chronic disease? Well, just like the root canal, and let me say, when you do a root canal, you have an infected tooth and you carve out the pulp and you cut the nerves so that you stop feeling the pain. 
but you don't render the tooth sterile. A root canal treated tooth, they're all infected. Uh, that's not to say they all disseminate the infection. That's the difference between a root canal that kills you and a root canal that gives you good service is whether or not the infection stays put in the tooth or whether or not it disseminates. But in general, think about it, these are usually in the larger teeth, the chewing molars, and when you have either a root canal-treated tooth that's infected or an asymptomatic infected tooth that you discovered on X-ray, especially the special X-ray, the 3D X-ray, what happens when you chew on that teeth? Well, any dentist will tell you the amount of pressure generated between two opposing molars that are in the process of chewing something very tough, uh, like a hard piece of meat, the pressures are astronomical that are generated. So when you generate those pressures, the infection is at the tip of the tooth, and it's where the lymphatic vessels and the venous vessels drain. So every time you chew on a tooth like that, even more effectively than if you took a syringe full of toxins and took them intravenously, you directly inject these toxins that accumulate in these infected teeth directly into the venous system, directly into the lymphatic system. It's, it's very diabolical because it's, it's the perfect toxin and pathogen delivery system to allow infections to sometimes disseminate, like infections in the heart, endocarditis, uh, or people that get strokes that uh, have ruptured aneurysms, they find these pathogens there as well, or even in breast tumors, cancers, and uh, benign breast lumps, they find these pathogens as well. So these teeth are in a position to, as they like to say, as the young people like to say these days, 24-7, whenever you're using your mouth to inject these toxins and pathogens directly into your lymphatics and directly into your venous blood system. Wow. So you just summarized, said that teeth infections, infected tonsils, infected gums cause a vast variety, vast majority of heart attacks and breast cancer. That's pretty serious. I mean, these little infections can generate that path of inflammation, oxidative stress, and lead to cancers. So how do we tell if we've got an infection if it's not noticeable from our gums or our breath or tongue uh, <clears throat> stuff? Well, that was the whole point of this book. About a year and a half ago, I was with a friend at the dentist, and she was getting some root canals taken out. And as part of her, shall we say, operative game plan, the dentist did what's called a 3D X-ray. Not 2D, 3D X-ray or 3D cone beam imaging of her mouth just so they had the anatomy set up so that they knew everything that was involved in, in proceeding with the extractions. Well, when the x-ray came back, and I I didn't have much familiarity with this type of x-ray at all. It was like one of my first introductions to it. I saw from across the room that her last molar, which had never been root canaled, was so grossly infected, it had a huge abscess that it completely eroded away the bone and the sinus floor, because it was in the maxilla, 
causing the accumulation of pus and mucus in the sinus. And you could not see this on the regular 2D x-ray. And I immediately said, oh, my goodness, uh, my friend, I'm afraid you're going to have to get another root canal. Uh, you're going to need another tooth extracted because this one is grossly infected. But it really bugged me because she swore up and down it didn't hurt. And I said to myself, how can you have such a grossly infected tooth that doesn't hurt? And that caused me to hit the literature, go on PubMed, and start looking at apical infections. And lo and behold, Susan, I mean, I was stunned. Worldwide, they did studies that looked at the incidence of these infected teeth. I don't know why, but they did these studies. And it comes out when you, when you put everything together that roughly 10 to 12 to 13% of all teeth in adults are infected. And furthermore, they're asymptomatic 98, 99% of the time. It's the rare exception to the rule when you have a grossly acutely abscessed tooth that hurts like hell to get that extracted. But when they get infected slowly over time and the abscess slowly develops, the slowness of the process allows it to develop in an asymptomatic fashion. So I said, oh, my God. And then they also had articles that showed an untreated tooth with this type of abscess, asymptomatic, was vastly more toxic than even a tooth that had been root canal because the root canal, if it's done very well, will debulk the infection out of the tooth. And in some patients, we don't know which ones yet, we need the studies, in some patients uh, will give them a serviceable tooth uh, without causing a lot of disease in the body. But it became a readily apparent that a huge number of people around the world are carrying teeth that are directly linked to every different disease that they have. And in the course of doing my research, periodontal disease, which is gum disease, uh, has already been linked to a huge number of different diseases. And this Apical abscess is just an exaggerated, even worse form of the same disease that's present in the gums. For example, and I'm going to give you a list, and it's a long list, but I want the listeners to understand that the research has been done. This periodontal gum disease, which is a minor form of what's going on in an infected tooth, has increased all-cause mortality associated with coronary disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, pulmonary disease, arthritis, osteoporosis, bowel disease, kidney disease, infections in general, uh, autoimmune diseases, every type of cancer you can imagine, and all of the primary neurologic diseases, including seizures. So I said, my goodness, it's all there. It's obvious now, and this is the case that I make in the book, that for the doctor or for the dentist, for the physician or the dentist, doing this 3D cone beam examination needs to be a routine part of the medical evaluation. Because if it's asymptomatic, how are you going to know it's there if you don't look for it? And regular x-ray routinely misses it. 
I mean, you don't know. You're a physician. You don't know if somebody walks into your office and has a blood sugar of 350 or a blood sugar of 80. And you don't know just by looking at them that they're diabetic. Well, how do you know somebody has an asymptomatic, painless infection in their mouth that's causing their heart disease or their cancer unless you make a specific effort to look for it? Because you don't have the symptom of pain uh, and a patient saying, oh, my God, doc, this tooth is killing me. Check it out. No, they come in and say, well, no, my mouth feels fine. I have no problems there. But this is very common, and as it turns out, I can say quite comfortably, is the primary cause of most chronic degenerative disease and the direct cause of heart attack roughly 90% of the time and of breast cancer roughly 70% of the time. Well, is this association with periodontal disease and all these end-stage diseases, is that causal or is association? Well, the nature of the study is it's very difficult to do cause and effect studies without directly inflicting disease. But many of these, shall we say, association studies also showed reverse directions. By that, I mean they would show in cases of asthma, bad periodontal disease, the asthma would get bad. When you effectively treated the periodontal disease, the asthma would get better or resolve. So much of it is along those lines and very close to cause and effect. And it really defines logic when you look at the totality of the studies and the totality of its association with every significant chronic degenerative disease there is it really defies logic to say it's not a cause and effect relationship. Well, in your book, you mentioned that the depth of our deep pockets is correlated with our death rate. I'm sorry, repeat that. In your book, you said that the depth of our deep pockets of periodontal disease is correlated with death rate. <sighs> Pretty much so, because the deeper those pockets that get are, it indicates the more bulk-wise amount of infection is present, and the more infection you have present, the more dissemination you get of toxins and oxidating products throughout the body. Uh, and, and that's clearly with the CRP, the C-reactive protein test, uh, in the all-cause all mortality studies, it's very clear that the more you sustain and increase the presence of inflammatory biomarkers throughout the body, the shorter your life is uh, and the greater your incidence of other diseases. So that's one, one part of the periodontal disease that correlates, but that's a good, good example, yes. Now, interesting points in your book, for example, in root canals, uh, it was discovered that the DNA of root canal-treated teeth was found in including clots and cerebral aneurysms. And also, uh, periodontal DNA was found in the plaques of cerebral vascular diseases or strokes. So it sounds like chronic periodontitis is an independent risk factor for lacuna strokes. Absolutely, and, and that was one of the most stunning studies I've ever encountered in my life. It was published in... 2013 by a Dr. Tanya Pessy and her co-workers in Finland. 
They had the unique situation where they were a research institution, but they were also connected to a clinical institution where patients came in and were treated. Well, and to me, a true stroke of genius, Dr. Pessy decided to do a study that to me was genius just to think of to do it, much less the results that she got. And what she did was she coordinated with the cardiologists that were treating the patients that had acute MIs, acute myocardial infarctions, or heart attacks. These patients were, would come in with an acute heart attack, go straight to angiography. And what happens when you have a heart attack the vast majority of the time is you develop a, a non-occlusive narrowing of your blood vessel, like 60, 70, 80%, and then something at some point in time activates your platelets, and then the platelets set up shop on that clot, and they acutely block off the rest of the blood vessel. And the acute blocking off stops the blood flow to that part of the artery and the heart, and you have a heart attack with, with death of heart muscle. Well, in this case, the cardiologist went in there and suctioned out the blood clot that had acutely blocked off the blood vessel and submitted that specimen to Dr. Pessy and her group. And just as you said, they did a very uh, refined testing, polymerase uh, chain reaction testing that could detect small amounts of nucleic acid, DNA and RNA. And lo and behold, they found that 80% of those blood clots had a pathogen profile almost identical to that of an infected root canal and another 30%, and I know that adds up to 110%, so it just means the two sources both contribute. Another 30 35% of those blood clots had the pathogens typical for infected gums. So together, it was very easy to see that 90% of all heart attacks were directly caused by these pathogens present in infected teeth and infected gums. And this is what allows me to say cause and effect rather than link or correlation. The concentration of the pathogens in the blood clot was 16-fold, 1,600% higher than in the surrounding blood. So it just defies logic to think that you formed a sterile blood clot and then all of a sudden after the fact all these pathogens came in. It's very clear that the presence of pathogens, and we also have other studies that show when you roto-rooter out these, these, uh, these narrowings, these atherosclerotic plaques, at least in one study, 100% of them, 35 out of 35, had an array of 50 or more pathogens characteristic for the mouth. So there's just no excuse now with what's in the literature for an internist, a cardiologist, not to immediately be getting their patients evaluated for dental infections. This study, incidentally, Susan, was published in the Circulation Journal. That's the primary subspecialty journal of cardiologists. Where wow. is their brain? What are they thinking about? <laughs> this is in their journal, and nobody's routinely evaluating the mouth. I mean, come on. They all acknowledge that inflammation causes coronary artery disease, but they seem to shut it down and not ask, well, where the heck does the inflammation come from? You just don't spontaneously have inflamed blood vessels. You need to consume the antioxidants present in the blood vessel 
for inflammation and an inflammatory response to occur. And it's now clear that this is uniformly occurs greater than 90% of the time and approaching 100% of the time from dental pathogens. So let me summarize some of this. So the degree of periodontitis is important in determining the degree of cerebral vascular disease or strokes. There's a greater neurological deficit in stroke patients with advanced periodontitis at the time of admission to the hospital. Also, this is involved in, uh, you find DNA of periodontal pathogens in brain aneurysms, carotid artery plaque, coronary artery plaque. And also in arthritis, they find periodontal DNA in the synovian fluids. And also it seems to have an effect on pulmonary disease. So, I mean, uh, the research seems to be pretty strong. The research is enormously strong. I mean, again, I, I just, what, what can I say, Susan? My, my fellow docs, as a rule, they get so fixated on a certain way of thinking and a certain way of practicing their medicine or their subspecialty, they really have no interest in changing. They just, they just want to see the patient, go through an algorithm, go through a protocol, and they're really not interested in being stimulated academically or being introduced to new subjects that's going to change their lifestyle, change the way they practice medicine. Uh, that may sound cynical, but I don't know what else to think. Uh, as I said, this this incredible land, this incredible landmark article was uh, was in the Circulation Subspecialty Journal of Cardiologists, a leading article. What the heck were they thinking? Or did they just not even read their journals? This is one of the criticisms I have, and that's the purpose of this show, to provide the listener with information so he can go research itself. And perhaps it would be the patients that will bring the doctors along because I have the same frustration. But continuing on about dental plaque, I mean, uh, periodontal infection was also related to recurrent lung infections. Um, COPD has been found to be related to it. It's uh, higher periodontal infections in people with asthma and periodontal disease. They have a five times increased likelihood of bronchial inflammation. So, I mean, uh, this is something that we need to look at. And also what we've learned in previous talks is that some of the teeth are on meridians, which can affect that whole channel in the system of uh, Chinese medicine, that it can have effects throughout various parts of the body that one wouldn't even think is connected with the teeth. Yeah, you know, I, I consider the, the, magna, the meridians to be clinical magnifiers. In other words, if you have a substantial amount of infection and toxicity, that's going to cause you to be sick regardless. But as you pointed out, when it's present on a particular meridian, it, it's, a, it's a magnifier and can make the effect even more profound, especially in the distribution of that meridian. I, I think there's a lot of evidence to indicate that as a, being a very valid sort of thing. Uh, it's just important that people that do a lot of work with these meridians don't fail to see the forest for the trees, which is the meridian is important, but if you have an infection or an infected tooth on a different meridian, don't think that the tissue supplied by the other meridian is 
not still not subject to toxic stress. It is. It's just that the uh, meridian is a magnifying factor. So, okay, uh, when we get these assessed, so we find out where the inflammation is, what do you recommend to the listener that we do to make our gum health and our teeth health better? Well, there's as far as pure gum disease, and, and these recommendations are in the book, uh, it's amazing how simple gums can be improved, sometimes resolved, but almost always improved, and that is not to be preoccupied with flossing. I know that drives a lot of dentists crazy, but flossing is an inferior way to do what good water irrigation could do almost perfectly. By water irrigation, I mean the water pick or a water irrigation device like that. Uh, most people, if they floss like crazy and then you give them a water pick, you'll still see a bunch of debris come out even after the most thorough flossing imaginable. So furthermore, when you add a little bit of hydrogen peroxide to the, to the water, uh, this causes a further sterilization and begins the resolution of some of these chronic infections seen in gums. I have to say I've seen patients that have very advanced periodontal disease with almost a complete loss of the gum between the teeth so that uh, you see a space between the teeth rather than a nice little healthy upcurve of gum. And when they start doing this uh, water irrigation, water pick with the uh, hydrogen peroxide, they start regrowing gum uh, in a week or two. It's amazing. So uh, periodontal disease, especially minimal to mild periodontal disease, in my opinion, can be reversed almost completely a majority of the time with this type of water irrigation regimen. Now, when your periodontal disease is extremely advanced, uh, then there's other things that need to be done, a scaling, a deep probing, uh, in order to get areas that you're just not going to reach with this oral irrigation. So that's pretty much the case with periodontal disease. I'm not trying to oversimplify a complicated subspecialty, but there are some simple principles you could apply. Now, when you have an infected tooth, whether it's a root canal or whether it's one of these asymptomatic, chronically infected teeth, you basically have, as an option, uh, extraction to be later followed by implant or a bridge. Or if you're missing a lot of teeth already, then, you know, maybe a partial or a denture. But if it's just one tooth and it comes out, uh, most people can get a high-quality restoration with an implant these days. However, nobody likes the dentist, and most people can't afford extensive dental therapy. So the patient's personal preference and economic situation has to be part of the formula as to what you do. Now, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to say, look, that in tooth that you say I have infected, doctor, feels perfectly fine. I don't want it extracted. But if you can do something to make it healthier for me or, or, or take away part of the infection, you've got my permission to do that. Well, what does that translate to? That translates to the fact that the patient has eliminated extraction as a therapeutic possibility but opened the door to have a root canal procedure, which, if done, 
in a highly competent fashion. Studies show substantially less toxicity with a well root canal treated tooth than with an untreated chronically infected tooth. The important thing, though, is other things have to be watched, CRP, serial x-ray. If your C-reactive protein starts to elevate after your root canal, well, you better talk to that patient some more because that's the type of root canal that could give them a heart attack. On the other hand, if their CRP is very low and all their other blood work looks great, their thyroid function and their sex hormone status is good, that very well could be a patient who could do well indefinitely with that root canal. Unfortunately, and this is the point the book makes, we don't have the studies yet. We don't have the studies to show which root canals are going to give you a heart attack in six months and which root canals are going to do fine for, for 20 years. We don't know. We just have a suspicion, but we don't know. The other point that should be made is anybody that decides to get a root canal absolutely should go to the highest volume endodontist they can find. There's too many regular dentists doing root canals, in my opinion, because it's a profitable procedure, but they do two or three a week rather than the endodontist that does 20 or 30 a week. And the competency with which the procedure is performed correlates strongly to whether or not it's going to be a root canal that does not impact you negatively clinically versus one that does. We know, for example, that so many people that have root canals have heart attacks, and almost everyone that has a heart attack has an infected tooth or root canal, but many people that have root canals don't. Some do, some don't. So it's, the book is also a call for more research. I mean, if the endodontists only realized how many asymptomatic infected teeth out there that are just waiting for them, if you will, to be root canaled or extracted, I think we'd have a lot more interest in this subject, and then we might actually start generating some studies that down the road we can tell what subset of root canals make you sick and give you cancer or kill you with a heart attack, and what subset of root canals just serve you well mechanically and the infection around the apex stays put. Because there's a lot of examples in medicine where an infection, a focal infection, doesn't get resolved, but it does get isolated. It does get, uh, 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 if you will, uh, well, what's the word when you when you quarantine? You quarantine off your when, when your immune system is strong, your thyroid function is properly adjusted, your sex hormone status is in the solid normal range. Those are all factors that strongly impact your systemic inflammation. So when you're not systemically inflamed, your body has a strong resistance to a focal infection in your mouth or anywhere else in your body metastasizing. And even though your body might never eradicate that infection, if it absolutely stays isolated, like your, remember the example of the cavitation, you know, a, a grossly infected pocket uh, inside the bone. But when those are small, and when you make them even smaller with ozone injections, the infection tends to stay put and you tend not to be negatively impacted. So, well, I wonder I if 
the one of the if, if factors that affect whether a root canal goes sour is if a tiny bit of bacteria are left behind. So if you clean the area with ozone and it's as sterile as you can make it, I would imagine that would minimize a lot of the teeth that are on their way to creating heart attacks. Well, certainly that could help. Uh, I, I want to clarify, though. All of the root canals are infected, okay, and they are infected after the procedure. The only parameters that are variable is how large is the infected area at the tip, at the apex, and what's the status of your immune system in terms of keeping that infected area isolated. And to that degree, what you said about ozone is absolutely true. I think, for example, if you have somebody who has a root canal, and they're not crazy about getting it extracted, which would be the best thing for their health, but they don't want that. So what do you do that's best for them? Well, for one thing, you measure their CRP. If, let's say, it's elevated, it's 3, 3 3.5, 4.0. For the listener, CRP is a measure of inflammation. I guess homocysteine would be another one. So CRP is a good measure of inflammation. So that is one way to track what direction you're going. And and when it's elevated, and and let's say you say, well, Mrs. Jones, Mr. Jones, uh, I won't extract your tooth right now if you don't want me to. Let's see if we can make your blood numbers better with ozone. And let's say you start injecting ozone uh, a couple times a month around the tip of the tooth, and that CRP goes down to 2 to 1.5 to 1, then you might feel comfortable telling the patient what it looks like your immune system is doing better and helping to contain your infection. On the other hand, If the CRP gets worse or the ozone has no effect on it, then you can also come back to the patient and say, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, it's still completely your right not to have that tooth extracted, but I can tell you with a greater deal of reliability that you're putting your general health at much more severe risk by leaving a root canal in when that CRP remains elevated. So how do we support our immune system since that is one leg of this maybe two-legged stool, at least, well, at least two legs, you know, that we minimize the infection there when you put in the procedure and then you want to have a strong immunity to contain it. How do we support our immune system? It, it may sound like an oversimplification, but it's not. You do everything that you can to identify new and ongoing toxins into your body because they not only cause inflammation, they start tearing down your immune system. Uh, it's, it turns out, statistically speaking, when you have solidly normal testosterone or estrogen levels, when you have a solidly normal uh, thyroid function, and by that I mean you better have a normal reverse T3. Not these other thyroid tests, but reverse T3. Reverse T3 is reflective of an inefficient formation of T3 inside your cells, not in the thyroid gland, but throughout your body. And when you have a normal reverse T3 level in your cells, it means that your deiodinase enzymes are properly converting enough of the T4 to T3 and giving you normal thyroid function. But if that reverse T3 is elevated, that single-handedly can cause your otherwise isolated infections to start metastasizing. So you need 
absolutely normal thyroid function, absolutely normal sex hormone function. As best you can, you try to initiate long-term but very slow detoxification programs, saunas, uh, inositol, hexaphosphate, alpha lipoic acid, all these things that will gradually get toxins out of your body, and that will increase the competency of your immune system, and taking high doses of antioxidants. That's where vitamin C comes into play. Vitamin C has been shown in very solid studies to stimulate or support your immune system in at least 19 different ways. I mean, increasing the formation of antibodies, the number of T cells and B cells, the number of natural killer cells, the amount of interferon, all of these things vitamin C directly stimulates with regard to your immune function. So when you take vitamin C, you not only quickly neutralize toxins, but at the same time, you're stimulating your immune system to even better deal with those toxins. And, of course, nutrition. Now, nutrition is far too complex for us to cover here, but I will say getting something like a NutriBullet that absolutely pulverizes seeds and fruits and vegetables down to their constituents, I have found incredible effects by adding that to whatever your nutritional regimen is. And in fact, if you're really good about putting in organic vegetables and organic sprouted seeds uh, and organic fruits inside one of these a day, hey, you can pretty much cheat on your diet the rest of the day nutrition-wise because you really got a good dose first thing in the morning. Well, I, um, one quick thing I wanted to ask you about is calcium. I mean, some doctors used to recommend taking calcium, but uh, that doesn't sound like such a good idea. Can you elaborate on that? Oh, yeah, that's a big topic, but I'll tell you in a nutshell, and this is, of course, covered in my book, Death by Calcium, which is it's a pretty big topic, but it's very clear that there's no science, zero science, supporting calcium being beneficial for you. It's all marketing by the dairy industry. Quite the contrary, even though calcium is essential for health, elevated amounts of it are essential for death. I call calcium, iron, and copper the toxic nutrients. They're definitely required by the body for good health in tiny amounts. And when you get above those tiny amounts, they're the primary ways in which you change your cellular metabolism so that cells either become chronically diseased, malignant, or they get enough increased oxidative stress that they go into apoptosis, program cell death, or, or just frankly rupture. So, and it can also badly impact osteoporosis as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, osteoporosis is what I call like a... a a burning of the bone, and in the course of that burning of the bone, the calcium is the smoke that comes out of it. So calcium is but one thing that's deficient in osteoporotic bone, and when you take a large amount of calcium, you don't reduce fracture incidence, and that's the ultimate goal of any osteoporosis treatment is to make your bone stronger and make you less likely to get a fracture, and the studies clearly show, very clearly, that calcium does not do it. Magnesium does, vitamin D does, vitamin C does, and vitamin K does. 
Well, we have about one and a half minutes left, so would you like to summarize and let people know how to get a hold of you? Well, my uh, my email is open to everybody. That's my initials, T-E, last name Levy, L-E-V-Y-M-D, T-E, Levy, M-D, at yahoo.com. Uh, my website is peakenergy.com, P-E-A-K-E-N-E-R-G-Y. Uh, in all my books and uh, many more articles I have, so uh, somebody doesn't have to buy something to get a lot of information out of the website. Uh, so all of that is on uh, is on the web, uh, readily available. Uh, I, I can't do consultations for people, but I can generally, uh, if they send me an email, I can point them in the right direction so that they can get information or perhaps find a doc who can help them because I no longer have a clinical practice. Uh, so I, and I would say very important to look and read the book Hidden Epidemic and see the evidence for what we've been talking about and understand whether you're a physician, a dentist, or a patient, there's a good chance beyond a certain age you have a chronically infected tooth, especially if you're on any prescription medication. At and you this need point, to look, we are coming to an to end. For it. So it's such important information that we've got, got had two recent talks on teeth and their health. So please look into this. Look into some of Dr. Levy's works and books. Do your research. You can help yourself and others and maybe help educate some of our clinicians. And be well. you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.